0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations with Z and Vin. And today we've got our special guest, Dave, who's going to be joining in. And we're talking about an old friend today, a familiar topic, which we've covered a lot in different pieces, anxiety. Anxiety, as we've talked about, has become normalized. It's pervasive in our society. It's gotten to the point where people aren't even aware that they're anxious because it's a baseline state. So we walk around holding our breath, feeling like we're under attack. Z, it's kind of crazy because once you tune in and start observing how people behave, it's eye-opening. I saw this with my daughter, and she was doing a math problem the other night. There was a little game that she was playing on her iPad. It was a math game. And if you got the answer right, it made one sound. If you got it wrong, it made another sound. So she got three or four right, and she was feeling pretty good. And then she gets one wrong, and it makes a different kind of a beep. And she literally jumps up out of her seat, and she goes, (gasps) And her breathing increases, and she puts her hand on her chest. And I just thought, oh my god, she's seven years old. I've got to get this under control. But that's what she picks up. That's how people behave in our society. Like, the world is coming to an end. Like, there's always some kind of disaster that we have to deal with. And as we've talked about, stress by itself is something that's natural. It's a protective mechanism. So when we feel a threat or we feel some kind of physical challenge or some occasion that we need to step up for, there are a certain number of physiological mechanisms that happen in the body. Uh, So your heart starts beating faster. You have more sugar that's available for your body to use. uh, You are in a state where you're tense, you're more alert, you're ready for action, either to deal with the challenge or run away from the threat. And if that happens periodically, it's great because that mechanism is built in to help us survive. The problem is that we've ended up in this weird condition where we're always in that state. So we always feel like we're being crushed by some kind of stress, some kind of threat, real or imagined. And whether it's real or imagined doesn't really matter because it has the same effect. It releases cortisol in the body. And as we've talked about, Z, if you're continuously releasing that cortisol, and you're not clearing it uh, through things like meditation or through physical activity, you get that buildup. And that buildup becomes really toxic. It can lead to reproductive issues as we were just talking about in men. It can lead uh, to immunocompromised conditions. So you think about something like the pandemic that we're going through, it's bad enough that we're stressed, but it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the stress makes us more likely to get sick since our immune system is weakened, and that creates more stress, and it just becomes a downward spiral. So there are all of these problems that stress and anxiety create. And I think today, instead of talking about it in theory, we've brought this up in a lot of different contexts, we're going to address it very practically. So Z, let's hit this head-on today and talk about the cortisol going through our body, the impact of that, and maybe break it down in two ways. So number one, let's help people understand what some of the behaviors are that are normalized but counterproductive. So what are some of the things that we can be on the lookout for as a way to manage stress? And then as a corollary to that, what are some strategies that we can employ to reduce the stress in our lives, put us in a better frame of mind and just give us more peace and tranquility as we try and go about our day?
1: This is a a, a pretty, vast topic and we'll deal with some of the basics right now and as we move in the future this would lead us to literally a a course in self-management a course in holistic self-care because it isn't a one or ten minute or one hour uh, podcast that really covers it so I'll get into some of it we look at the world Not as it is, but as we have been domesticated to see the world. And once that domestication moves into the broader humanity, your reality begins to fall apart almost immediately. Once that set reality breaks apart, primal mechanisms in our body of disassociation, unfamiliar places, start to kick in. Let's say you have a pet and um, you keep that pet in this particular home and you say, hey, let's go to Florida from wherever, Washington State. You throw the dog in a kennel, the cat in a kennel, the bird, you throw a blanket over its cage and then suddenly you wake up on the beach in Florida. The animal will have all sorts of anxiety. It's a primitive creature that is has no mechanisms of past or present or future. It's right here, right now. And it's all of a sudden, this isn't, I'm not familiar with this era. This isn't the world I live in. This is crazy. This is So your animal has to be trained to be a good traveler, to know that it may wake up in unfamiliar surroundings, and its only reference point will be you. So that one connection to you will tether its reality. Now, humans are similar. So we are used to a certain reality. We grew up in a certain small town, and in that small town, we know 90 percent of the population, that small town, we rarely see anything different. There's two or three ways in which we get our information. There's not a whole lot of uh, changes or things we have to adjust to on a daily basis. Then all of a sudden, something comes along and disrupts that. We move someone from another place moves in a different cultural stylings. Um, you're, you're you're told to go off to college somewhere and you're surrounded suddenly by people from other worlds and you realize your world's... So there's that anxiety. Freshman's in college, what do they call it? The freshman 50 or whatever. Whatever it's called, where kids put on a lot of weight when they go off to college because they're so nervous, so anxious, so uncomfortable. And why is that? Because like the dog that suddenly awakens in another place my world no longer exists the way I thought my world to be so as an animal that creates anxiety your cortisol levels go up your uh, threat sensing tools and endocrine responses go way up but you may not have the ability to cope with these threats you're imagining that are coming so you put on weight or you develop nervous disorders or you're chewing your nails off, or you're grinding your teeth at night. All of these things you see commonly in college students when they go away. And then uh, by understanding how our bodies work, we can, those of us who are in this thinking project can reflect upon our own lives and say, what was it about the animation of my world that once that animation was, broken down and fell apart, what did I have difficulty coping with? The mass example is showing the progressive, progression of this phenomenon due to technology. So we used to have to walk everywhere. Then we discovered faster conveyances. Then there were horse-drawn buggies and trains and planes and boats. And we can move into different worlds much quicker. So we were able to slowly adapt. Remember, adapting wasn't that fast. There were huge wars over the laying of train tracks. There were huge wars over ships traversing the water. We still have maritime law. Imagine having a law that governs a body of water. That's the most ridiculous thing in the world. And when you get this close to my shore, these are my waters. It, it just sounds absurd if you really stand back, if you're hovering over planet Earth, and you look down and said, who could map this out and say when the beginning and end of water, but we do that because it makes us, it gives us another false sense of security and identity. Now in the last 15, 10, 15 years, we have become immersed in a extremely fast way of moving from world to world or staying in a world is via internet technology. So we fast-forward all these years, and we see that this normal phenomenon in humans has now been accelerated. So we have, now we have these political identities. So in this past election, they say that more Americans ever in history voted. So of the 350 million, uh, almost one-third of Americans voted. Almost one-third of the people voted, and the votes were binary, straight down the middle, uh, with a little more for one side than the other. But instead of people sitting back who could pragmatically look at it, we are no longer living an era where there can be a winner or loser. There can only be the victor and the vanquished, the dead and the living. There's no longer a competition of rivals, challengers, the dueling of champions. It's no longer that because the information has come in so fast and people are framing their worlds at such an unbelievable rate of speed that's either reinforcing a view or dispersing displacing a view. But none of it is real. None of it is real. The sources of information are unchecked, but they're feeding whatever narrative you want fed. I actually saw a narrative people were saying that one of the Sides were, were harvesting, scaring children, and drinking the blood of highly adrenalized children. And people were literally buying into that with no investigation, no scientific data, no evidence, anything. But it fed a worldview. And when that worldview is displaced, the people are anxious. So you see the footage of the various political get-togethers, and everybody there is suffering for some sort of health issue. Diabetes, pre-diabetes, gross obesity, morbid obesity, uh, walking with canes, hover rounds. Saw somebody with an AK-47 or an M16 on a hover round. You know, patrolling the city. Couldn't even walk on an electric wheelchair. Huge flags adorning the electric wheelchair, but they were unable to walk. But they were so animated by anger and rage and the fear that their cyber world, their cyber world was falling apart so they feared their fake world was falling apart you imagine that so now we look at that and we say that's never me but we need to really question ourselves and that's why I always tell people do your tribal indexing and take a look at how you identify yourself in the world and then you can see what are the nemesis of that What are the things that will shake up your worldview and disturb you? And suddenly you have these high cortisol levels. You're having um, glycemic anomalies. You're having chronic pain. You're having insomnia. You're having all of these things that, because they are so common, they are almost no longer considered diseases. They just say it's an inevitable part of living. So people now are not looking at diseases the same way because of the sheer number of people that share these common diseases that are deeply rooted in stress and anxiety. They even have it now when you go and do your etiology in a doctor's office, you check off boxes, they've changed the boxes. High blood pressure is now normal within a certain range. Um, Weight, they're changing the BMI to match the critical mass of population. Just because they're changing the paperwork and, and adjusting the ruler doesn't mean people are getting healthier. It means we have normalized a very tragic season in human development. And so the things that are missing, what I see as common is missing, which are actually remedies, is gratitude, being agreeable, and acting gracious in life. What do those things do? Well, walking backwards, being gracious increases your human commerce. A thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate you. To whoever you interact with, that relieves a certain level of tension you're carrying with you towards another person. It can help diffuse the tension presented to you. So right then you're reducing the frequency of stress and tension being created amongst our common humanity, which on a very base level reduces your fight or flight mechanisms and you have fewer potential threats to your existence simply by acting with grace. The only thing that interferes there is ego. You don't say Thank you to someone waiting for them to say you're welcome or any of that. That's crazy. Just do it because you're, you like your world to be pleasant. You like your biome, your your footprint on this earth to be a lighter footprint. Being agreeable. Can you accept that other people have had different life experiences that have shaped their view of the world that may be different than yours? A man's view of the world may different, be different from a woman's view of the world walking on the same path. No two people see the same thing the same way. So once you leave your small town, there is a huge world out there that is a million times bigger than your small town with a million different colors in it, a million different sounds and smells. That doesn't mean what you went through wasn't real. It means that it was part of a bigger reality. If you begin to accept that, your stress goes down, your cortisol goes down, your adrenals soothe, your kidneys are less taxed, right? Your creatine levels begin to go down because you're not clutching and pissing into your body, okay? Because you're constantly feeling threat and pressured upon. So those are things that we can do to reduce our stress as much as medication can. So we look around and we see that those things are missing. Humility um, doesn't mean you're you're making yourself smaller. Humility goes with the word human. What distinguishes you from a beast? Gratitude. You'd be surprised at how just having gratitude. Simply practicing gratitude changes the frequency of stress in your life so you're not constantly feeling deprived of something. When you lack gratitude, you always feel like there's one other thing you need in order to be happy, to be comfortable, to be okay. Without gratitude, there is no uh, barrier to your constant want and need for something that soothes you. I shared you the story watching children develop and when it, how to make a child spoil. is give them everything that they yearn for. Eventually, there's nothing you can give them that will make them happy. You go to some nations that are impoverished or they have a, a failed infrastructure, and the children ask you, do you have a book you can leave me? They're completely happy with that. Why? Because they're ignorant? No, because they have gratitude. You come here, you give the person a handmade IA robot that floats around the room and and serves you dinner, and they say, eh, (laughs) should have got it in blue. (laughs) Right? So gratitude in itself can reduce that footprint because gratitude always brings you into the now. It always brings you present. We may have troubles on the horizon. There can be certain equations that can say, hey, stress is on the horizon, but right now, you know what? I'm okay. Today, I'm okay. You may have went through a difficult season in the past, but you know what? Today, I'm okay. That's what gratitude takes you. Most of our suffering (coughs) is not only is it self-inflicted, but it is also um, self-prophesied. You're looking forward to suffering. I feel okay now, but I get on Dave's case like that all the time. Dave would come and say, I'm in this pain, that pain. Yesterday I was in pain. and I, I said, well, how do you feel right now? He said, okay, but in an hour I'm not going to feel okay. Well, that's on the horizon. Hey, the bandits ain't here yet. We got a party like it's 1999 when you feel good. I just need to feel good right now. Because life in a gratitude mindset is right now. Life is right this second. Ask people who suddenly stepped in front of a car and they're about to take their last breath, what's life right now? (laughs) You ask a person that has lost someone and they remember those now moments. That's what I'm going to miss, is right now. Not, Not last year, not what might happen, good or bad, but right now. So gratitude always wheels us back into present time. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, I think, Z, the examples you bring up, so you've talked about being courteous, being agreeable, and there's a certain amount of acceptance in being agreeable, and being grateful as foundational practices. I completely agree with that. I think about your example of kids, and it's so true. I remember when my kids were, well, they're young now, but when they were very young, and they couldn't walk, and they were crawling around. You'd give them a box, and they'd just have a great time playing with the box and climbing in it and pushing it. And then we ruin the kids because we give them more and more. And it's almost not for the child. It can't be for the child because it puts them in a worse position. It's for whoever is providing that, whatever adult happens to be in the area and wants to see the immediate reaction to stimulus. So let me get a smile on this kid's face or a dance or a cheer because I'm giving them some sugar or I'm giving them another toy. Uh, It's almost like having a pet and provoking a response. Uh, So I think that just even from the moment we're children, we're brought into this world where we're not feeling grateful and there's a certain amount of ingratitude. There's a certain amount of expectation. With that expectation comes anxiety. With that also comes disappointment. So the cycle starts from where, from a point where we're very young, when we're just starting out in the world. Uh, so if we think about those practices, Z, I want to give you a test case, because uh, I think what you're saying resonates with me, and probably it resonates with a number of people, but there might be some who are listening to this saying, okay, how does this really work? I mean, how do I cultivate these things? And how is this going to help me in certain situations? So I was scrolling through my Apple News feed. And you know, when you do that, you always come across these wacky stories. And so I found one today about this woman. I think she was in Arizona. She's married, been married for about nine years. On the surface, everything was fine. But during the coronavirus and the shutdown, she's become increasingly anxious. And all the political environment hasn't helped. So she's been worried about the election outcome. And finally, she just snapped. So she went into a Target, and she saw this display filled with masks. And she started filming herself. And she went over, and she knocked over the mask, and she started screaming about how you can't infringe on my rights or what is this? This is all a conspiracy. And this thing went viral and got something like 10 million views. And then, of course, <laughs> she was labeled a Karen and started getting all these death threats, and people were sending her instructions on how to kill herself. So that's an aside. But as I was thinking about this, I was reading some of the article, and it talked about how she'd fallen into this whole news thread about QAnon. So I'm not that familiar with all the theories, but I know some of the conspiracy theories that come out of QAnon. And she described it as a rabbit hole. So I guess with the benefit of hindsight, she looked at her behavior and she said, wow, I really should have pulled myself out of that. I was way too anxious. I was at a breaking point. I'd gone down this rabbit hole where the conspiracy theories just became so appealing and comforting. uh, They were alarming. So if you've got theories about certain segments of the population enslaving children and uh, selling them into sex slavery, that could be alarming, but at least you feel a certain comfort because you feel like there are some answers and you get a temporary handle on your stress. And then the more and more you go down that rabbit hole, it just totally distorts your worldview until you hit a breaking point. And as we've talked about, Z, because anxiety has become so normalized, while you're in that anxious phase, no one really notices anything amiss, it just seems totally normal. It's finally when you get to the point where you're screaming in a target and your video is going viral, that everyone's saying, oh my God, how could this have happened? What's wrong with this person? Even though the conditions that have led up to that were in place for a long time, and actually would do a pretty good job predicting this sort of an outcome, because eventually you're going to hit a breaking point if you don't deal with that anxiety. So take that example. And if we look at that example in light of your principles around being courteous, being agreeable, and being grateful, what could this person have done to prevent themselves from getting to that point?
1: Well, then one of the challenges is that I think as we educate ourselves, especially if we're truly an opt-out, an independent thinker, understanding basic human brain function, if you understand basic human brain function, you understand why things are happening to you a certain way. Human beings love conspiracies because the brain likes to manage energy. Basic Bowles Law thermodynamics and energy exchange. It takes less energy to say a rumor or conspiracy as a fact or truth, than to investigate. Investigation requires a tremendous amount of energy. Dave is a private detective. If someone comes to him and they say, "Dave, I want you to give me answers. Is is my husband cheating on me?" Right? <coughs> Excuse me. He says, "Is my husband cheating on me?" And Dave knows right away, based on his price list, if she has enough money, he can really investigate. If she doesn't have that much, he needs to give her a quick answer. Is that right, Dave? Yeah. Talk about it. The difference between investigating and simply giving a simple answer, an easy-to-process narrative.
2: An investigation is essentially a search for the truth. It's a process a very structured process to determine what the truth is. And one of the things that that I think that is beautiful about the system in the United States is that literally anybody can hire a private investigator to investigate anybody or anything or any organization or any event. And um, so sometimes when you hear politicians talk about, well, we shouldn't investigate that, or it's terrible they're investigating this. Well, properly done, it's just a search for the truth. It's not an attack. so you brought up fidelity um, because I'm an optimist. I call them fidelity cases. Most people call them infidelity cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, some PIs do that work. I have done some of those. That's kind of the cliche thing. Um, but if somebody comes to me and they want to know if their, their spouse is is cheating on them, um, yeah, it does come down to resources and time and then also how good they are at it. And so I've had people come and say, well, for $500, can you figure out if my spouse is cheating? Well, Yeah, if they go out and do it in the next couple hours while I'm watching. But generally, as I tell people, you know, there's a certain amount of time that has to be spent, which is usually about, you know, $2,000 a time to really understand who's involved, where they're going, when they're going, who they're meeting, basically to get your legs on the ground and understand what's happening, whether it's a fidelity investigation or, or almost any other kind of investigation. And then we have a chance to get at the truth of it.
1: So, so Dave is bringing up a good point and what we're going into our behavior and health. Conspiracies don't require investigation. They are not a search for the truth, a quest for something. So if you think about brain function and the way our brain works, it is just easier it is simply easier to use less energy on whatever you do. But those things then frame a reality that doesn't include something Dave mentioned was the truth. It doesn't include the truth or the facts of the moment. And so why we get this anxiety is because most people walk around and they have not investigated their situation. There's no depth to it. It is simply The brand of potato chips with no chips in the bag, right? That's what branding is all about. A good package with little substance in it. And so if we understand how our brain works, you can see how we have been drawn into such a high level of common anxiety, common stress, that we have painted a picture of the world that is more of a cartoon than an actual life. And when that cartoon is revealed to be a cartoon, it is very painful and shocking. That's why often you hear people, uh, again, when couples argue. Dave mentioned the term fidelity and infidelity. If we use the holistic brain and we understand what we're saying, fidelity means clarity, clarity infidelity means not clear so do you want clarity or not clarity most of us live in a world that is unclear because we have not spoken up we have not investigated we have simply run with a cartoon existence so when these when that cartoon falls apart our world we're we're the lost dog we're the lost person And we are anxious and fearful and angry and all these things. And then we have the health markers that show that. So for those of us who are working on this, I think we would want to exercise that part of us that goes, seeks a deeper understanding. As we can see the mess of the nation in politics. And it didn't just start with this administration. It was a long time coming. Remember, technology has hit, and we we never imagined technology to be the way it is today, where I can spread rumors or propagandas millions of times over at the speed of light, playing on the fact that the human brain wants to save energy, so I'm going to seek out information that appeals to me, and I'm just going to stay on that my world won't be challenged so i'm going to live in this cartoon and if anything disrupts the cartoon i'm going to react in a fight or flight model so then you wonder why so many people are suffering from poor health just disgraceful health right now and the remedy as i was saying to you the simple remedy then is first a basic a course on basic brain function and then from there, you look at everything, uh, the way we use language to identify our world. It's very revealing. You can tell a lot about a person, how they feel about the world and themselves by the, re- the words they use, how they frame reality. Is it a local, regional, is it a universal reality, is it a global reality? Is it a past reality, a present reality, a future reality? And then from there, you can then understand the maladies they may have. What are you going to say, Dave? Well, I want
2: to describe a phenomenon that goes in, goes on in the PI world. And maybe you can make some sense of it. But I've had it happen over and over again that that somebody will come to me, uh, usually a man, and he'll say, I want to know if my wife is cheating. And um, so he wants to hire me to figure that out. And uh, then he'll describe a series of behaviors. you will sometimes even bring a friend and say, well, she's told me she wants a divorce. She told me she's... She leaves the house for many hours at a time. She has a boyfriend or girlfriend she's spending time with, but I just have to know if she's cheating. And I say, well, yeah, she's with somebody else. I mean, what else is there that you need to know? And it's almost as if there's uh, two parts of their brain. One of them is uh, they're, they're, they're scared, incredibly stressed. Could their significant other be in a relationship now? And then, and, and I guess that's most the emotional side. And then the other side is, they give me enough facts to tell us that, yeah, that's exactly what's happening, including I'm divorcing you. And then the guy says, well, is she leaving me? Well, she told you she's divorcing you. So what do you want me to do exactly? Do you follow me? Mm-hmm. And so there's there's it's as if they can't connect the two points of the brain um, until I bring them an image that somehow makes
1: it true to them. And that's what I mean. They, we live in a cartoon existence and that picture disrupts the cartoon it fragments the cartoon, and it forces them into the present. So they're running around playing different scenarios, and the scenario playing in their head is as dynamic, as active, and as real as the one playing out in real life. So most of us are living in this kind of cyber world, but it's not just the poor guy that Dave is talking about. Case after case, person after person. I talk to people every day about their health. People come in with various health complaints and they say, Well, I started to do this and I started that it was working and then I stopped doing it. I went back into my cartoon. The the sheer effort it takes to care for myself, the nanogram of extra energy was too much and it was not my routine. Unhealthy behavior was my routine. That is my cartoon. Though it causes me great duress, it is familiar to me. So once I change that, I'm changing not just the things that I'm doing, but my whole reality is changing. I don't go to the same restaurants. I can't hang out with my friends at the same dive bar on the corner and eat um, whatever they eat, pigtail wings or something, that people eat at these things. And you see, so it's, it's often... Understanding how our brain is working. As Dave described the person that they are suspicious of something. They've even had clarification and affirmation of it. But then they will hire him to say, is it so? You see? That's because that cartoon world is so powerful. It is so powerful that it is as if not more powerful than the reality we live in. Again, the politics of the day, just bizarre. From a global perspective, you saw a once, uh, once a nation striving to be a more better union dissolving into a failed state, right in front of your eyes. Why? Because we have more easily-packeted malnarrative, malinformation, like the malware that runs on, com- on the computer, we have malinformation. There are different sides, different views, and they can all coexist. One doesn't have to die for the other one live. One person doesn't have to be beat down for you to be okay. One farmer can grow potatoes and another farmer can grow peas. It won't ruin the world. But how do we coexist? But we have to do that first within ourselves, so we have trouble coexisting with ourselves. As Dave said, there are people who live in these cartoons with an awareness of there's a world out there, but I don't want to go, I don't want to, it's like the kids who were obsessed with comic books when I was a kid. Remember, there used to be kids who were obsessed with comic books. Then before video games, they had something called pinball games. They had a person called a pinball wizard. Poor guy would stay at a pinball arcade all day and all night. Who remembers that? I don't know if you guys are old enough. To be a pinball wizard, it was the scariest thing in the world you ever saw. That he was the, the winner he won a million points on a pinball game. And back then, yeah, it was used a who to take song. a week.
2: It was a Who song. He, yeah. was, he was blind, the guy in the song.
1: Yeah. He was a pinball wizard. Well, you would go blind being in that cave, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we've amped that up. And, and now that, that used to be an anomaly. Now it's normal if you don't meet a pinball wizard. Mm-hmm. You follow me, Vin? Yeah,
0: I like this phrase you have about cartoon world and how we create our own reality, because I think it captures so well how the mind can just completely spin out of control and become totally divorced from the real world. And that is, it might be a temporary solution to anxiety, it's comforting to live in your own world, but eventually there's some reconciliation. And when that illusion falls apart, it can be terrifying. So we talked about this a bit in our last discussion on the visceral loop. And one of the remedies to this, as you mentioned, and Dave has been mentioning, is just go out and get the information. Go out, find out what the truth is. Instead of spinning all these scenarios and there's no end to the scenarios, there's no right or wrong in the absence of information. It's whatever you can imagine, whatever internal world you can create. Step away from that, go out, go do the due diligence, find the facts. That's a way where we can reconnect to what is, reduce the spinning and reduce the anxiety. So that strategy makes a lot of sense. Some of the other ones we talked about, courtesy. I think courtesy, to me, is straightforward. You can be polite to other people. You can invest time getting to know your neighbors, the people you transact with. It just makes things easier. You feel like there's more of a human relationship instead of a transactional relationship. You have people who are going to look out for you just because now they have some vested interest in you. So the courtesy one, I think I understand. For the other two that you talked about, Z, being agreeable and being grateful, here I think maybe we can help our audience a bit because conceptually, these are easy to understand. Just be agreeable. Just be okay with whatever happens and you'll have a smooth life. Accept conditions for what they are. Don't fight reality. All that great advice, how do we actually implement? What are some of the exercises we can do to become more agreeable? And then similarly for gratitude, how can we start cultivating gratitude and change the way we're thinking about ourselves and what we have versus what we don't have?
1: Uh, Baby steps, Ben, baby steps, because part of the formula, there's a pinch of humility in there. And before we can point the finger at anybody, anything, any institution, we have to look at ourselves and how we are dealing with that. We have to take self-ownership. And it requires a a true, a reasonable amount of humility to take ownership of the self. Excuse me, I get... I deal with all sorts of people throughout the day, and I'll have people that come to me and they'll talk about issues of the day. And you can frame people right away when they walk in and say, hey, did you hear about what the left was doing this day? Did you hear about those left-wingers? And then you'll hear that over and over. Then you hear another thing. oh, the the right-wingers are doing this, or or the rights or the republicans are doing this, and they have one tone that they start all, they steward in all the issues of their suffering with a linear narrative that one type of person or ideology is bad and the other is all good. That's not life. No one person is supreme within themselves. You mean you can't find fault in your own self You can't find the things you need to work on in your own self. So you're projecting that onto a mythical adversary that's causing your suffering when it's really you. So we work on that self-ownership. And then when we find ourselves getting drawn by the gravity of these infinite holes in the universe, politics, social things, Uh, national identity, all these false narratives. Pull back. Hit your booster rocket and just pull back away from being sucked in to anything. That doesn't mean you don't have commitments, that you don't have values and views and beliefs, but human life is fluid and dynamic and ever-evolving. Be a surfer through life, through all the ebbs and flows of life. Be a good surfer. Maybe something that worked for you 10 years ago just doesn't work today. Maybe a view you had a year ago has been proven uh, failed or false. And accept and go, okay, I was wrong. You know how long and how far that can take you just saying, oh, you know what, I didn't know, I was wrong. Now I'm going to strive to make a correction in my view. How many people said that plant-based diets would leave you starving years ago. They associated vegetarianism and all this with weakness. And then the primatologist tells you, help, a gorilla is one of the physically strongest human relatives on earth. They eat leaves and fruits all day. Who doesn't want to be strong as a gorilla? Right? So that's a myth. Don't fall on your sword because you used to believe something or you heard something and it's not necessarily true. Once you investigate it, as Dave said, you found out it wasn't so. (coughs) I have people I've talked to and they'll tell me information, say, Zeke, you got to see this. And as soon as they send me the information, what I'll do is look at the author of the information. I'll do a quick Google search of the author and I find out that they're completely bogus and everything they're selling is, uh, is crap. So I know from there, when they're writing, they have an intention to excite, elicit, to bring you into their brand, but there's no depth to what they're doing. So one thing, then is to strive for gratitude. You first work on self-ownership, self-possession. Take charge of yourself. Then from there, You can sit in the middle of everything, not being drawn one way or another by external identity markers. You know, they they used to talk about, again, in politics, that women would vote the same way their husbands do. Well, that's not a vote based on knowledge or investigation. It's based on familiarity. There's nothing right or wrong about doing it, but just know that's why you're doing it. Some people will vote because it affiliates them with their team, or they act in a certain way because their team acts that way. That's why in the military services, you have the regular military, and then you have the extraordinary services, what they refer to commonly as special forces. And if you see them function, they function very different than the other military, because their, their mission is extraordinary activity, not ordinary activity. So they often, <clears throat> in field, wear different uniforms. They follow different protocols, different chains of commands. They interact with everybody doing so they can do their specialized task. So too, you as an individual should strive to be a special forces type person. You can interact with many different types of people. You don't really hold any relig- rigid religious, political, or other societal views. You allow there to be fluidity. That doesn't mean you're undefined. That doesn't mean you're all over the place. You just say, let me investigate. Let me investigate. Let's see what the evidence says. And then I'll come back with a conclusion. I don't jump to any conclusion. And so these exercises you do require enough humility to take personal responsibility that most of us have been living in a cartoon. And when that cartoon falls apart, it can be very devastating. It can be emotionally traumatizing. It will be physically taxing. And be prepared for that. So allow yourself to be hearty in spirit and mind to know that I'm going to step out into a world and the sun is going to be so bright it could blind me because I've been living under the shade of this cartoon. But what's beautiful about being in the clear glare of the sun, is that's where things grow. That's where you change, evolve. That's where new opportunities to experience a great life is. And your cortisol levels go down. The flight or flight mechanism is not triggered every moment of every day. You can breathe a sigh of relief because you know who you are, not who other people say you are, not your family, your friend, your church, your temple, your synagogue, whatever. They're not telling you who you are. You, you know who you are. Again, it doesn't mean you disregard or abandon them. It just means I'm in the middle of all your opinions of me. I am free because I have investigated. I have taken a look at all the details. And some of the things that I've seen are shocking you know, like I said, Dave's here, he works as a private investigator. You will see things that are shocking. Is that right? You see things that Jesus goes, oh my God, he didn't do just that, did he? Did he actually do that? Right? But you know what? That's reality. Same way with us. Did I actually go down the store and eat a pint of haagen Did I actually do that? Yeah, so I need to work on that. So, it could be any number of things. And, and, and so, Gratitude is about higher intelligence. Cultivating that higher intelligence. I am grateful for what I have because I believe I am not entitled to anything. So with the children, too many gifts, too many rewards, too many pats on the head, it will actually hurt them later in life. With individuals, any deep sense of entitlement will damage people. You see, this country is on the verge of collapse because I believe one of the greatest diseases is a sense of entitlement. Simply because of birth, I have a right to something. I have a right to impose myself on you. I have a right to yell, scream, do whatever I want to do. But I have no innate responsibilities to anyone. But I have the right to everything. But I don't have to pay for that right. It's like the kid that gets every toy. They don't have to share, but they just get more and more. They get praised no matter what they do. And so that disease of entitlement has now corroded and infected a whole nation. Work ethic is not valued. We can see that in our health. We can see that in our obesity. We can see it in our opinions. It is so easy to be a keyboard warrior and to watch people move to and fro based on a peck of a keyboard, you don't even have to be a war hero.
2: So you guys have both, you know, touched on the politics of the moment and the things that are going on. And I want to describe something I can't really make sense of, and maybe maybe you can do it in this in this podcast. Um, when when we had the protests, some call riots and some call protests, when we had that going on in Austin, I. Went over to a friend's house, and I have a law enforcement background. I took my shotgun, and uh, he's a lawyer, and, you know, I just wanted to make sure his house is okay. And I get over there, and his 24-year-old son uh, comes out. We're sitting out in the back of the house waiting to see if somebody's, if the mob's going to come to the house or what's going to happen, and we're just hanging out. And um, a buddy of his is a a grandson of a former uh, Texas Ranger, the guy that got Bonnie and Clyde, so he's a little bit famous in that environment. And anyways, we're hanging out, so here comes his 24-year-old son. And I've known his 24 year old son since he was about 12. I don't think I could say that I've had a more positive relationship. I've played Dungeons and Dragons with the kid. I had him over to my house. I let him, uh, gave him summer jobs to work on my house. I once bought him an airplane ticket so he could visit his dad when he was going through divorce. I mean, nothing but a positive relationship over 12, 15 years. Well, he comes out and he's all excited about what's going on and, and he proceeds to call me a pig and a killer. Um, because I used to work in law enforcement, and he doesn't know anything about my time in service. You know, he doesn't know whether I killed anybody or not, I didn't kill anybody. He doesn't know that I work primarily as a reserve sheriff's deputy, which means I work for free, so I just did that as a contribution to my community. Um, He knows literally nothing about it, and he ended our relationship in about two seconds calling me a pig and a killer, and then was getting ready to go out and join the protests. And that part was, you know, was unfortunate. The real question for me is, how is it that he went on for so many years coming to these conclusions and not ever once having a conversation with me about
1: it? Well, Dave, you answered it right there. That's what we said earlier. The brain loves efficiency. It's easier to frame a quick statement, a catchy phrase, than to go into and investigate. Once you investigate, there are complexities. There are things that disrupt your cartoon of the world. The perfect right answers. I have people that are very supportive of me who say extremely racist things, extremely racist things. But instead of me reacting and framing that in such a way, I look at the whole of the person and understand their use of language and what they were taught. And with that, I can navigate my relationship with them that doesn't create a tremendous amount of compromise or friction. I remain true to who I am, and if I feel there's something I want to share with them, I do it in a context in which they can understand and not me. That young man may come around in years from now, he's seen things on the news, he's chosen his side, the way the media is set up, it's short snippets, it's not deep investigative journalism, it's serving one view or another. And even yourself, as you describe the events of the day, the mob would come. The mob would come. So when I hear that, I'm saying, no, these are things that have been brewing under the surface since the birth of this nation, and people are suddenly erupting in outrage. But they're not. That outrage isn't directed at any particular individual. It is at a, as a as a system as they perceive it or experience it as they experience it and perceive it in a whole. So even that statement of the mob or him saying, you're a pig, um, has more to do with the, the efficiency of the brain in trying to throw out finer details so it can contain the gross view of something. And the more we understand how our brain works, the more we could resolve. I would imagine if you knew this young man the way you do, And that something that hurt you, if you called him and shared with him your feelings and your view as kind of a a surrogate uncle or whatever you are to him, he would come around because human relationships are valuable, but they're not always smooth. Really deep relationships have to have character. And the only way you build character is to go through something. You meet people who have been through nothing. They have no character because the character needs to be flexed, exercised, pushed, bent, made sore, healed. So deeper relationships with people have bad days as part of the story of the good times. The closest person you will know, I think about the friendships I've had over a lifetime, over my whole lifetime. We weren't always happy with each other, but we never abandoned each other. There were many rough days. So I would say for all of us, what soothes the soul, what reduces, our thing is to reduce stress and mitigate human suffering. Stress is killing us. Anxiety is killing us. And as a situation you described, it is understandable in the moment we lived in. If you take it impersonal and go to kids and say, hey, man, I really think highly of you. And if you have a moment, I was hurt by what you said, but I understand why you said it. I said some things that, I mean, you and I have been knowing each other forever now. Dave gave me a neo-Nazi flag and said, put this in the back of your car and you won't get pulled over. Remember you gave me those police flags? For many people, that's considered a neo-Nazi flag. And I didn't say anything to you at the time. I just, said, okay, Dave, because I know you're not that. I know in my heart you're not that. But your understanding of that emblem was limited to where you had came from, and it came from your heart. So, a symbol that the guy that devised it devised it as a counter attitude towards the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, or something like that. You don't you you weren't privy to all that. You were just saying, "Hey, man, well, this well, will help on. you That I was get an started. American
2: flag with a blue line. Yeah, the blue line. But that it's, thing's been
1: around forever. But what? It, but it's been co-opted. Just like the nazi flag has been co-opted that used to be a buddhist symbol okay but that thing wasn't created in response to black lives but it's that been co-opted it's been co-opted into that now oh. just like what i said the swastika has been co-opted into mean nazism when it's actually a buddhist symbol of infinity and infinite opportunities for mm-hmm. growth mm-hmm. but we never think about that you can't walk around with a buddhist symbol that looks like a swastika in your window now can you mm-hmm. without attracting certain people one way or another mm-hmm so too that emblem has been co-opted by other groups to now mean something completely different than what it ever meant before. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. So we want to have sensitivity to that and not be attached to it either way. I love Buddhism, but I'm not going to be put a big swastika on the back of my Unimog and drive down the street. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I can't do that anymore based on some shit that happened 70 years ago. So any of these things, we we should, I'm not attached to it. I carry my Taoism, my Buddhism, my Hinduism in my heart, not on my, my not on bumper stickers, you know. And when we do that, that's just being agreeable. That one you're talking about goes in the reverse direction, doesn't it? Yeah, that people don't care. I Dave, know, I know. But Dave, let well, it go. we could bring it back. Dave, and just say, hey, no, it's it's the there's direction. bigger fights to
2: have. There's bigger.
1: <laughs> we got bigger battles. I did meet week. an
2: Indian couple in L. A. one time that had a huge one on their door, and yeah. I said,
1: Do you realize what? You they know? didn't care. They well, were fresh off think, the boat, yeah, fresh off. That's the boat. Right. So no, we have other battles to fight, and they, these types. I let go of all symbolism. I warn people all the time: don't wear, it. don't, don't put bumper stickers on, or, or don't do anything that draws conversation. In general, one side or another. Just, I just want to go and come. You know, I just want to go down to the, to the quickie mart, pick up some ammo, and go back home. You know, I just don't need a hassle, right? So. <laughs> So I suggest to all the opt-outs to just move incognito as much as you can through this world. We got individually got enough stuff you're working on, Um, but that does reduce the stress in our life. And I think in the situation with you and that young man, give him a call if, if if that's in your heart, and say, Hey, you know, I remember we used to play Dungeon Dragon, and it just really flipped me out when you said that to me. And I'm not that I'm not that dude. And I hope you understand that. That's all. That's what I would do. And then if he says, you know, F you or whatever after that, at least your heart is clear. At least you're clear. You know, like in any relationship, if we have a misunderstanding, and that's all of us. A lot of us walk around burdened with the weight of distrust, the weight of disappointment. You name it, right? And you just want to, if you could just let it out but do it with courtesy, with gratitude, be agreeable, and wrap that in in as much kindness as you can sincerely put forth. Because some people you have no desire to be kind to. You could care less, you're indifferent towards. But be honest with yourself, so you will know the amount of commerce or exchange you want to put forth with that person. So for those of us who are opting out and we want to get our stress levels down, there's first the basic understanding of human brain function, how we frame our reality and then work on biasing the framing of that reality in a way that serves us best so we're not in a constant go-go run-run mode. That begins the process of the body finding comfort and quiet. Then the chemistry of the body begins to buffer, become more subdued. The body can then take all of its immunal resources and repair your body as opposed to get you ready for the next freaky thing that's gonna happen or may not happen. And that way we can kind of bring our health back, right? Because there's a lot of stuff to worry about all the time. We just wanna pick our fights. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, I think picking the fights is critical. Uh, There's so much that we can get involved in and bogged down in which just has no bearing on the quality of our life and it's a, a complete waste. I think the more of that we can shed, the smaller our footprint, the easier it is, as you put it, to come and go, and the easier it becomes to live. So if I just step back, Z, and maybe summarize a few of the things we've been talking about, basing our life, or at least having a foundation of truth is important so we understand what's actually happening. Having self-possession is important. And on that foundation of self-possession, if we feel strong in ourselves and in our beliefs, We don't have to be right all the time. We don't have to shy away from criticism. We don't have to conquer someone just so that we can be okay. We can be a lot more accepting. We can be a lot more grateful for our situation. And I'll say in my experience, it's just so much easier to be that way. It's so freeing. It's like, my God, I can breathe. I can drop the mental resistance to whatever is happening in a moment of time. And hell, man, I I can just go out and live my life.
1: That's true, Ben, Uh, and and that's something for all of us. We just want to live our life, and we want to live it as unburdened and as unencumbered as possible. Um, Getting through this life and inviting the least amount of suffering into your life you can is a noble mission for each of us.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com.
1: Peace.